welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tammy Takeishi. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. And welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast. Today I am with Buddy Whittington. He is one of the members of the trio Texas Scratch. They are three born and bred Texas guitarists. Jim Suler from Dallas, Buddy Whittington, who I have here from Fort Worth, and Vince Converse from the Houston area. And they will be releasing a self-titled debut album called Texas Scratch, available from Cordo Valley Records. And there's a very interesting story behind that. It's actually been recorded quite some time ago. Would you love to tell us a little bit about the legend of this album? Well, I'll do the best I can. Like I say, it's been so long ago, I've probably forgotten more than I ever knew about it. But uh, Jim and I went up to uh, Dover, New Jersey to record some songs with Vince Converse, who was who was already there, uh, with, uh, with Ben Elliott. Uh, the producer and the engineer who has since passed on. Like I say, a lot's happened since we did this, but uh, we got up there and, and uh, it was originally, we were up there working under the auspices of uh, Arnie Goodman of Blue Storm Music. And we recorded, well, we spent oh, a week and a half or so recording it and, uh, and got some good songs down. And then everybody went home and then we just kept wondering what was going to happen next. And uh, it took a good while before I mean, we hear, well, there's a little talk about the album. And it was like anytime there was any kind of, you know, just a a little verbal about it or whatever, we would be excited that it was coming out. And it went on for like 14 years. And we, in the meantime, I had put out another album, put some of the same songs on my personal album uh, that I, that we had on Texas Scratch just because I didn't think the album was going to come out. But now it's out on Porto Valley and everything. Everything's rocking. So we're we're in gear and trying to make it work. That's great. You know, I had a chance to listen to it, which is a really, really cool perk about being a podcaster is getting some stuff early. And it rocks. Like I love um I really love the blues and blues rock genre. But how did you get into that and how did you decide to start guitar? Well, I started I'm an old man now, but I started playing guitar when I was eight eight years old. My sister was I had a sister that was ten years older than me. That when the Beatles played on Ed Sullivan, we were all around the black and white TV. You know what I mean? And uh, and we and my parents were big fans of Western swing music. And there are a lot of uh, Saturday afternoon TV shows on with uh, you know from the Big D Jamboree and the Cowtown Jamboree and the Wilburn Brothers show and all that stuff. And we would watch that too. You know, I started playing like I say about eight years old and uh, and wound up. Playing out around Jacksboro Highway, a lot of places the kids shouldn't have been at that time, but uh, but I did it for a long time. And long story short, I wound up in John Mayall's band for 15 years. That was a very enriching experience for me, and uh, it, it was great until he decided he was going to 
kick everybody out of the nest and, and rework some things. And, and, you know, we still get along. John, as a matter of fact, John will be 90 years old the day after Thanksgiving. So uh, I got to get in touch with him and uh, send him a card or something. But, uh, you know, we, we've been playing. We, we've played so long now that there's, we don't really know how to do anything else, you know. And Jim is another guy that, he, you know, like I say, he's got sort of the same sort of background that I do as he's been with uh, George Thurgood for so long as his as his guitar player and doing his own gigs with his band Monkey Beat. And, they, you know, it's it's just something we've all done for a long time. Now, now Vince, I don't know Vince as well, but I know he's from Houston, and I, I remember him being in a band called Sunset Heights, but he was just a kid. He was he was. I bet he wasn't 20 years old yet, you know, and he is currently living in Denver, I believe. And, uh, and we haven't, we haven't gotten together to rehearse any of the songs. Me and Jim have a couple of, a couple of gigs coming up that we're going to go out and promote the the record with, but Vince is not going to be with us because he's not in our area. You know what I mean? But we, we plan to get that going as soon as we get a little more organized. Can you talk a little bit about what which guitars you used on the album and also what are some guitars that are your favorites? Well, I've got an old, old Spender Stratocaster that I've had for a long, long time. It's a, it's a, it, well, it was a 63. It's kind of like Johnny Cash's Cadillac. It's one piece at a time kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, I've just played it until I've worn parts out and I'll go put a new neck on or a new pickup in, you know, stuff like that. And I've got some guitars by a guy that's taken really good care of me over the years named Scott Lentz, L-E-N-T-Z, out in California that builds some really nice, all, all kinds of offerings, really. But I've got, uh, I, I have a couple of, but he has two S styles, as he calls them. And then I have a, I have a couple of T styles, and then I have one he calls an HSL, which is a hybrid Scott Lentz. Great guitars, and uh and I've been hooked up with Dr. Z amps for since probably 1995 or so. And we get along good. And he, he keeps me, he keeps everything working for me. So, uh, you know, I've, and I've got an old Gibson 335 that I play some on the album. And I believe I might have played a little bit of a Les Paul, a few Les Paul tracks on it too. But just pretty much just the general stuff. I noticed you have some songs that are to your writing credit on the album. What was that like being able to write music and have it be on the album? And then also knowing that it's going to be on this upcoming album. Well, I mean, like I say, we, we have been all been writing songs for some time and, and having varying degrees of success. I mean, you know, I, I, I had a couple that I wrote on several of John Mayall's records where he would let me, me and the drummer generally would, would co-write something to have it on there, you know? And it's, you know, it, it's been pretty much what, like I say, what we do. Having some success at it would be really great as far as in a big way. But the music business is so quirky now. Who knows what's going to happen? You know, who's going to ever hear it? I, I get so excited when somebody will, you know, email me and say, hey, man, I would love a copy of this record with this song about it. I got the itch, but I ain't got the scratch. I want to. I want to hear that song again. And I said, well, here, let me fix you right up. But uh, like I say, my, my original uh, record that I did with it, I had, I had an album called Six Strings Bengali. And it was a pretty good little record. But I had it was on a label in, in England. And it's out of print now. So I'm just I'm letting Texas Scratch take up where it left off, you know. And hopefully we'll all have some success with that. Well, it's it's fantastic. So I can't imagine you wouldn't. 
Sure hope we do. And then, you know, and like I say, we, we still enjoy getting together and playing that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a lot. Everybody calls me a blues guy. And I guess to a degree I am. I, I love blues music and I love the straight, you know, the regular one, four, five blues and shuffles and all that stuff. But, but I have to, once in a while, I have to write something that's got maybe a little more to it in the same, same genre, not necessarily a traditional blues. Although I like that too. Briefly mentioned the Beatles, but who else like groups or single artists inspired you growing up? Oh, I loved uh, Roy Nichols with Merle Haggard. I loved Don Rich with Buck Owens. I loved uh, John Nitzinger. We have a Nitzinger song on, on Texas Scratch called Louisiana Cockfight. He was a he was a local Fort Worth guy that had a had a record deal in in on Capitol Records, which I thought was amazing because it was the same label the Beatles were on, and a guy from Fort Worth had it, you know. And he, he's a great songwriter and player and singer, John Nitzinger, N-I-T-Z-I-N-G-E-R. And, uh, we did that song basically just as kind of a hats off to him for, for, uh, cause we listened to him for so, so long and so, and so much. This might be tricky, but if you could play any other instrument other than guitar, what would you want to try? You know, if, if I could play a Hammond organ, I mean, like, I'm not, and I'm not just t- not talking about like the living room kind, I would have to, I would have to play a B3 in a, in a Leslie, like, a, you know, like a, a real old school Hammond player. I know st- several that are still around and, and we, unfortunately, Roger Cotton over in England was, was our, uh, our Hammond player in the Buddy Whittington band over there. And he has passed on and we, we, we really haven't got anybody to replace him yet. So, you know, we've just been uh, talking about maybe doing a, a trio tour over there. And, and hopefully, maybe if we can, you know, maybe add add a, a part time keyboard player. You know, organ is such an interesting instrument, and I mean it. It just takes it takes so much. It takes and so much it's to just play. Got, it, it's just such a soulful sound. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. when that organ overdrives that Leslie, and you get everything breaking up just right, and it's just it's almost like all you know, the, the, everything that the cook puts in the in the soup pot is beginning to bubble, you know, I really, I really love it and uh, wish I could do it, but I could never do it. Good to dream about though. Yep. But you do play guitar very well. And some people, some people dream of that. So. Well, you know, like I say, I've been doing it a long time at this point. I'm like, I sure spent a lot, a long time learning how to do that. And I, as, as, as for as long as I've done it, I should be a lot better at it. Cause there's, boy, there's some great ones out there now. There's some wonderful players out there now. And I feel like I've learned a little bit about it, but I, at, at my this stage of the game, I should be farther along than I am. But, you know, I'm not through yet. That's right. There's always something new to learn, right? Yep. What is one of your favorite parts about putting together an album or touring or, or anything musical, really? Just getting an idea. We're talking about the Ain't Got the Scratch song. I'm When I was 16 years old, there was a music store I used to hang around and they had, and the Ernie Ball String Company used to have these little cards that they would put between the strings of guitars that were hanging up in the store to keep people from messing with them. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And this one, this one card, I just had to, I picked the guitar up one day and there was a card between the strings and this card said, I, ha- I, ha- I, ha- I got the itch for a beer, but I ain't got the scratch. And I hung <laughs> on, I hung on to that line. Like I say, you know, I'm 
67 years old. And of course, you know, I did it. This has been 2011 when I did the album, but, but I hung on to all these little, little blurb things that I picked up over, over the years. I'll eventually make a song out of them, you know, come good or bad. And so, sometimes I wonder if I've got any left, you know, I have to dig way back in the old memory bank to see if I can come up with something that, uh, that might be something somebody would want to hear, but, but that's, that's a big part of it. And then getting together with some guys in the studio, you know, and making it work and making it into a tune and starting to record it and, uh, getting good sounds. Good. That, I, that's a big thing for me is making sure the guitars all sound good, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and everybody gets in there. It, it's difficult these days because we've been playing loud all our lives and now nobody wants you to play loud. You know, they, they want to, they want you to play quiet and let the sound man make you loud, which is a completely foreign idea to me. But that's the way it is now. That is interesting. I would want to play loud, too. Well, you know, <laughs> we, we came up with when PA systems in clubs and stuff were, you know, just something to run the vocals through, just something to sing through so someone could hear you over the, the rest of the band. But now the, the PA has become, the, the sound system has become what everything has to be routed through to get out to the audience and if they if you're on stage and your your amp is louder than the you know the, the guy's trying to get you through a microphone into the speakers that go you know out on it like they say it's just if it's too loud you're just too old but i i, under, I understand the thing about, about what they want to do but it, it sure makes it hard to to be able to get a good sound that that moves some air and makes you feel good about what you're playing you know and, and without having to worry about keeping it down so low, you know? What is something that you wish you knew at the beginning of your creative journey? How many great, great players that already walked the earth before me? Because I, I look at these people now and I go, what was I thinking? Did I did I really think when I was eight years old that I'm going to go buy this guitar and I'm going to make a living with it all my life, you know? And, you know, I got guys like Tommy Emanuel walking around on the earth, you know, and I, I just go, well, you know, can't keep up with him, but you just have to do the best you can and try, kind of put your own stamp on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is such a great point. You know, like regardless of your genre that you play in or or instrument that you play in, you know, just going out there and making your own mark because you never know who you could inspire. You know, somebody, there might be a, an eight-year-old out there going, I want to be just like Buddy Whittington. Boy, I tell you, I'd be the first one to advise them against that. <laughs> These kids always come up and say, what can I do to play like you? And I say, I'd say, do your homework. That would be the, you know, that would be my first suggestion. Don't worry about playing later. <laughs> but sometimes you just can't do it. You know, sometimes it grabs a hold of you and that's what you got to do, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, in addition to doing your homework, what other advice do you have for young people who would want to get into the music business? If you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful, both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. 
And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. Be careful about anything you might sign, like contracts or anything like that, that might come back at you down the road. And, and you know, signing releases, all these people want to, they want to use your, your material. To, a lot of them will, would like to do a show using your original material just so they don't have to pay any publishing for any covers that you might be playing trying to keep from spending a lot of money or any money at all, or any more than it takes to, to get the show on the road, you know, but uh, they'll give you this release to sign. And it goes, I buddy Whittington, you know, solemnly swear, blah, 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 that, that throughout the universe in all perpetuity, that you can do whatever you want to with my likeness and blah, 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 you know, and before you know it, you've got something that's out there in the world and, if anything ever did happen for you, that that might rear its ugly head. It sounds like there's a lot of things that people need to know about music business and law to to really protect themselves. You no, know, I know some I know some young guys that have backed off of a musical career, and uh, like I know a guy that's he's in Nashville at uh, what's the college in Nashville? I can't think of the name of it, but he he's taking a music business he's a degree, you know. And another guy in in uh, in California doing the same thing. It's all uh, stuff that that should have been people should have been paying more attention to a long time ago. Before it's like, here, let me sign you up over here, son. Gonna make you a big star. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The industry has changed a lot. It's it's so difficult now because there's you know you can't go buy a new car that has a CD player in it. And we don't really know what the, I mean, I guess the phone is the, you know, the next thing that you got to have a, a connect a USB into your, your radio in your car so you can play your songs on your phone. Nobody can really go out and, and buy a hard copy of anything. And it, it's all digital. And uh, generally it can also be picked up for nothing somewhere, you know, which is, which is another, another bad thing because I mean, and, no, and nobody's making a, like a third of a cent for each play you get on the radio. I mean, I get all these checks from ASCAP, and they're, you know, ASCAP and the, and the thing over, over the PR, Performing Rights Society, and generally they'll be, you know, real low uh, amounts. And I'll have plays. It'll show me where my plays are. All over the world. I mean, like Vietnam, South Africa, people are, I, I, can't, I can't believe anybody's even has ever heard of me there. But, you know, I got a third of a cent from them for listening. So, you know, it's uh, it's pretty ugly, really. Yeah, yeah. I've heard, um, well, not just with musicians, but also with, you know, there was the actor strike, you know, just streaming in general. Yeah. And using their, like I say, using their likeness in another medium, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah. they're trying to fix it to where, hey, you can't do that without letting me know about it or my my company or my lawyers or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's never been that, that it never got that big for me at this point, but uh, I know there's people that it has, you know. Yeah, yeah. It definitely sounds like there's pros and cons to streaming. I mean, there's there's a lot of convenience, but I definitely wish it was more fair for the artists across the board. 
I would I would hope that at some point it will be, but I I don't it doesn't look too promising right now. Look, unless you're somebody like Taylor Swift that can go, hey iTunes, don't sell any of my stuff, take it all off, or, or let me re-record it and put it out again. That's not the same, you know, the same record that you are selling now that I can sell. You know, it's it's a it's a big mess. I actually love CDs. Like I like being able to flip through the books and and surprisingly enough my car actually has a cd player and it's not even that old it's just the way the way the car was made so i i have cds in my car and um not too many people do right i have a couple i i I, matter of fact i have a texas scratch in my car right now because i'm having where it's been so long since we recorded it we need to get familiar with it again so we can go out and play the gigs you know (laughs) and uh and and I you know we, I have a few of them in there, but uh, you know I, I I'd sit and look at listening to YouTube more than anything, looking up old stuff that you know that how things sounded and how they were were recorded and how, what they used to get those sounds and all that. That's very important to me. That's a great way to do it. Do you have any favorite after concert after show meals? A good Mexican place is always in order, you know, but I tell you, know, I, I'm to the point in life now where my doc goes, go home and go to bed, wake up and you know, <laughs> eat two eggs and only one egg, egg yolk. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. I'm trying to stay with it, but it's hard to do when they won't let you have fun, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You seem like you might be a barbecue kind of a guy. Well, my my dad was in the meat business growing up and we, and we, we had a lot of barbecue and we, we had, you know, we had some form of, of beef every night because he would bring it home from work. And, and as a as a result of that, I'm not that crazy about it as long as I can have a hamburger every now and then, you know, or, or I like to say a, a brisket sandwich or something like that, chopped beef sandwich, something like that. My wife, on the other hand, she loves her barbecue and she loves to go get a steak every now and then, you know. But uh, I'm, I'm trying my best to stay out of it. It's, it's just... Uh, it's not natural. <laughs> it's tough, you know, because you've got like an adrenaline rush after a concert and maybe you're starving, <laughs> you know. Well, it's either eat before you go on. They used to kill me when we were when we were out with John Mayall. We would be in Sardinia or something like that. These wonderful gigs, beautiful places. And they would take us out to, to where we were going to play and take us in and, and just feed us until we were we couldn't move, you know what I mean? It's like, and then, okay, now you go play, you know, or <laughs> oh, great, you know, and it made it made it very difficult. Or down in Argentina, we would go down there, the uh, uh, the barbecue places down there, what they call them, I can't think of the name of it, but anyway, it's where you go down there and they give you the little spinner that's got, it's got a green thing and a red thing, and if you put the green thing out, they keep bringing meat, and if you put the red thing out, they'll finally stop. Churrasco. Oh, I've heard of that. <laughs> I think of it. And uh, we did that several times. And it was like, so how's the gig? You know, it was like, are you ready for the gig now? Like, well, can we go take a nap first? You know, <laughs> pretty rough. Oh, goodness. I can imagine that would be pretty hard to try and jam out when you're ready to take a nap after a huge yeah. meal. Yeah. <laughs> it's always best to wait if you can. But sometimes it's difficult because, I mean, you know. The old blood sugar starts getting low and you start getting tired. You need at least two or three cups of coffee to get it going. And uh, I don't do that as much as I used to either. I used to drink a lot of coffee at night. And then I I finally got to where I couldn't go to sleep, you know. But 
for years, it didn't bother me a bit to have three or four cups of coffee on a gig, go on, go straight to bed. But now I can't do it. So things change as we become vintage people. I like that term, vintage people. Well, it's, it's better, better than old fogies. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, a couple more questions. These are have nothing to do with music. Well, sort of. One is, do you have a favorite note or a favorite key to play in? I'd like to be like Ray Charles, who said, you know, what keys in? He goes, I got them all. You know, he says, I'll, <laughs> I'll play whichever one you want. I like the guitar keys, you know, the, the, the ones with the ones where you can play with open strings in your chords and stuff. I, I know some really good jazz guys, world class jazz players, and and I'll get called to do a gig with these guys once in a while. And like I my I have a good friend up in Joplin, Missouri, Johnny Rose. He, he taught me how to play the Christmas song in the key of C, which is so it kept it all easy, you know. And I would start rehearsing that here at my house in October or so. So I'd be ready to go play it on a couple of these Christmas parties. And then I go play with the jazz guys. They go, okay, the Christmas song and E flat. First song right out of the shoe. That, that gives you a whole n- a new appreciation for knowing how to play in all those you know, modes and, and in those keys where you can play those, those melodies like that. Yeah. Yeah. E, e flat. Oof. <laughs> on any instrument. That's not, that's not a fun one to play. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of the horn players. You play that and B flat and B flat and and a lot like Hendrix and and Stevie Ray and all the a lot of the great guitar players tune their their, their guitars down a half step to E flat to get that ominous sound and also to make it easier for the for the the singers to hit the notes you know that that's that's a big thing but it it just always makes everything sound like Black Sabbath to me to do that I mean it just makes everything sound ominous. Last question. If you could go to dinner with any creative person, whether it's a musician, artist, author, actor, uh, who would it be? Well, that's a tough one. I don't want to be, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Probably not a musician. You know what I mean? Because we, we, we get together. Musicians talk to each other a lot, but uh, I just, I'll just leave that one open. Open invitation. You'll go to dinner with, with anybody. Uh, with, right? with anybody. Sign me up. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, buddy, thank you so much for being on the show. And congratulations for your band having their new album out, Texas Scratch, self-titled. Thank you so much for having me. That's great. And uh, hopefully we'll something will become of it. You know, maybe we'll uh, we'll all live to fight another day. There you go. Excellent. And uh, listeners, please check the show notes for how to purchase the album, and if they happen to be coming to your town, definitely pick up some tickets because they really rock. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like the show? Have a question? Stop by the Facebook and Instagram pages. Links are in the show notes or search for Creative Piecemeal Podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.